0: Politics is not for everyone. Politics can be threatening, it can be confusing, and it can be polarizing. But if politics is about people, if it's about having meaningful conversations, if it's about our lives, our community, our taxes, it can become more relevant to each one of us. My guest today is Leslie Payne, who is running for city council. She comes from a background in sales and marketing and a lifelong social and climate activism. She's running for office to get everyone included and she has a warm spot for seniors. Let's get to know her. So uh, you have this history with politics, right? With the Green Party?
1: Yeah, I've been a supporter of the Green Party for a long time. I I like a party that has a clear vision. Mm -hmm. They have, you know, stated principles. I would love to see that from the other parties, and I'd love to have them re-examined. I think it's interesting when you look at Uh, Nelson's vision and and values and um, my understanding is that those are reviewed and possibly updated with each new council coming in because many things stay the same in our core values but how we achieve those and how we know that everyone is included that's the important thing for me right now I think there are a lot of voices that are not being heard.
0: Like whose voices you feel not being heard? Um, I
1: th- well, my most recent employment was with Nelson Cares. I worked for Kootenai Seniors. And the pandemic demonstrated to us very, very clearly that there are some cracks in the care of the most vulnerable people in our society. And seniors are a large and growing segment of that. So, you know, when we couldn't meet this morning, my next thing was to take an 86 year old friend. And I met her through the pandemic, through Kootenai Seniors. I was one of the volunteer drivers and I still am a volunteer driver. So now we've just become great friends because she's here alone in her large house. Her son is in Cranbrook, and he gets over as often as he can. But I take her every week up to the cemetery to visit her husband at the mausoleum, and also when she has medical appointments. So today she needed to go to a physiotherapist. And after that, I had lunch. And I'm probably, you know, I'm her main person now. And I have another friend that I also met through Kootenay Senior's and found out she lived right around the corner from me and right. I'm same thing we get out and do things together because her daughter's in Caslow and her daughter's down every couple weeks but I just want to make sure that she has you know more than that and she does have a lovely circle of friends but so what I think happened it's with important... the senior in the
0: pandemic what 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 oh what would...
1: well well when you take a a vulnerable population like that who does have mobility challenges getting around. So now you're saying, oh, riding the bus might not be safe. Oh, are the cab drivers, um, you know, wearing their masks? Are they safe and stay at home? So now you've taken this group of individuals who's stronger together when they're in community. And we know that from all the studies about aging and we've said, could you just please stay at home for a while and not have people that you're not intimately acquainted with? I mean right. and that social isolation, not only for seniors but for the entire community. I think that's created trauma that we just haven't even seen the, the depths of. Absolutely. Yet. So that was a big thing for the seniors, and a lot of services did pop up. People started delivering groceries, uh, Kootenai Seniors was offering rides to medical appointments. It took them a while to calibrate that, and I was there when we reintroduced the program. Um, but the social aspect is, is something that was really, really challenging to do. The other thing with seniors right now is that many seniors, after long time being with a partner and children at home, may be on their own. So widows, widowers, and they're in their family homes, and they would like to move into housing Mm. but even when they sell their home they need something affordable and that's as you know becoming more and more challenging in Nelson so it's a bit of a chicken and an egg scenario if they moved out of their three and four bedroom homes that would free up housing stock for families but we need a place for them to move out to where they can still be included in the community Um, sometimes they'll run into medical situations and I won't say the organization suggests that they just move out of town so leave your family leave your community and move closer to those services and maybe that from a physical point of view is great but from a mental point of view it's it's not
0: it's just not and you need both for well-being let's be honest yeah absolutely and like feeling connected also to the communities that they've already have been part of, right? All yeah. their lives, some of them.
1: So yeah, there are definitely definitely lots of things we can do better there. And if we, you know, I, just being in the transportation focus, which is a huge thing from climate change, is we need to have a transit that is senior friendly. So a senior may be able to walk to the bus stop, depending on where it is. But if they get there, you know, five or ten minutes early because they don't want to miss the bus, standing for that period of time can be a challenge. Right. And then with no shelter Mm -hmm. in inclement weather, it's not pleasant for anybody. But if you're a senior trying to get to your medical appointment and you have to get off the bus and, you know, walk another couple of blocks, those are challenges that when you're an able-bodied, you know, youthful person, you might not think about. So, I think we need that lens on council.
0: I agree. And I love it that you bring it because until now you're the only one, the first one that is talking about that. Okay. So, that's good.
1: (laughs) So, you're getting a lot of different perspectives, which I think is wonderful. Because city council is a team effort, you want to have representation. Right. I do think we definitely need to have more balance at the council table because, you know, there are so many different perspectives and it's been pretty um, white male for a long time.
0: What women bring to the table or what you want to talk about yourself bring to the table as a woman? That's an interesting
1: question because uh, some of the things I might say, I'm not intending at all to not include men who are acknowledging the vulnerable individuals in our community. When I look around at the not for profit organizations and the social service organizations, yeah. they are run by primarily by women.
0: Interesting. So yeah. if you
1: want to, you know, go on from there and say, if, um, Yeah, if Nelson Cares and Nelson Community Services and KCDS and I could go on, that's where the female leadership is. And then you walk into City Hall, it's a bit of a different picture. Yeah, I hope that paints a picture without... Um, inferring that there are not men out there who bring those qualities of certainly compassion, kindness, inclusiveness, equity, diversity. Hmm, I could go yeah. on, but I'll stop there.
0: No, that's great. That's us give a really good perspective on why women are important to be included and be in the table.
1: And I did hear the Dalai Lama say once mm-hmm. that um, Western women, and I, I'm just repeating what he said, need to come forward to do this work in the world. That's the Dalai Lama, that's not me. (laughs) I was there, he said it.
0: And we can see that when those feminine qualities are missing from the table, the corporate world and the extractive economies have no limit.
1: And I think when you look at an extractive economy, it's very different than a, a connected care economy. I was at an excellent webinar put on by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, and it was a very experienced economist, and she was talking about, we don't value the care economy the way that we do the extractive economy. Now, there's another one. If you lined up the individuals in those economies, there would be a very clear balance. And she was just explaining that whenever we talk about a slowdown in the economy, um, it, it is that extractive economy we're concerned about. Whereas if we were able to level off the extractive economy and ramp up, the care economy, which again, the pandemic showed us very clearly. Childcare workers are essential to the health of our economy.
0: Yeah. Leslie, let's talk about let's talk now about the climate plan. You've been a climate activist most of your life. What do you think about the climate plan we have?
1: Well, I've been working as a climate activist and a social justice activist for most of my life. These are intersecting issues, and I guess from my perspective of having a few years behind me, we need bold action. We just need in the climate we've we've got a climate plan. Awesome, glad we have a climate plan. We had a climate plan in 2014. Uh huh. What we need is, <laughs> do you know the Elvis Presley song "A Little Less Talk and a Little More Action"? Yeah.
0: Please share this podcast on social media and messaging apps. This election will influence how much taxes we pay and what they're used for. It will determine how we deal with the housing crisis, environmental emergencies, and support lower-income families. The link is nelson2022.ca. Please share it now and come back for the rest of the conversation.
1: I am curious where are we you know why aren't things moving faster of the over 100 aspirations in the nelson next plan some of those are in my opinion really low hanging fruit they need to be done they're quick and easy things they need to be done if you have the political will and I think at all levels of government, we've seen an ambition gap.
0: Some people will say to that, be practical. The municipal government is very limited on what they can do. I have not been a father.
1: I'm a mother. So once I gave birth to my children, it was very, very clear to me that I am responsible. It's not a choice for me. I am responsible to do everything I can to keep them And their children and their children's children safe. We're the only generation who's not passing on a better world. We're the first generation who's not passing on a better world. It makes me sad to say that. Yeah, that's true. But it means that until my last breath, I'll be doing everything I can to change that trajectory. Oh. Thank you. And I I don't think it's going to be easy work. I'm not kidding myself. I go to the council meetings. I read the agendas. I know the documents.
0: Yeah. The last years were full of climate events. And every season we had something. And every season we had extreme events. The last years were full of climate events. And every season we had some other kind of extreme events. Do you think
1: there is more public will right now? So I did run last time. And I went to an event prior to the election. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the candidate preparedness event. And they did a wonderful presentation in Castlegar and uh, interested candidates from all over the area went. And they talked about, oh, this is what municipal politics does. And you can't promise this and make sure you understand this. So that was Great. You always want to make sure that everybody in the room understands the job description. You want to sign up for the right job, right? So this time we all get into the room and I was surprised that that many people went. They started talking about what municipal politics needs now is change makers. We need systemic change. We need people that are ready to lead that visionary charge for action. Right. So for me, it's interesting. I look at my background and I go, I spent my early career in sales and marketing where I was quite successful and loved it, loved it. I worked for a software company who had a leading product based in Mountain View, California, just south of San Francisco. So I understand how to go in and listen to people ask them for what they need, and then go back and say to the developers, okay, this is what our corporate clients are asking for. How are you going to bring it to them? I think this is a similar job. We need to, we know what we need. The solutions are all out there. So now we need to engage the population. And we don't need to say, we're doing this for climate change. We're doing this for that. We're not going to talk about what we're going to lose or what's going to be terrible. Right. We're going to say, here's a vision that we need to hold. How does that sound to you? What connects your values to this vision? And, you know, there's lots of different ways to engage. Not everybody has to carry their cup around all the time. I do because that's who I am. But there are many other things we can do. And and one of my favorite books that I read this year is um, Catherine Hayhoe, who's a Canadian climate scientist. Her book is called Saving Us, which is true. The planet is going to be fine without us.
0: <laughs> yeah, better off. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>
1: But, um, yeah, I would I've told you my reasons. There's four of them living in my house, <laughs> and a bunch of them, you know, running around all the time. I, I was part of the group that organized that children's March for um, Truth and Reconciliation Day. And when I was down at the Capitol waiting for them, and they came around the corner, I just looked at those students, and tears came to my eyes, both for the historical component of it. And for the future component of it what kind of world are we making to leave for them we know what's happened in the past not very proud of that moment yeah can we be proud of this moment
0: yeah i have a question for you many of the agendas when people read and maybe don't listen to the podcast and they and they read the agendas look similar all, all candidates are for climate, all candidates understanding the housing crisis, all candidates understand that all, all things are linked. Do you have some guidelines on how to, uh, how to choose your candidates? Uh, what other things you, we can think about other than the agenda that is relevant or not relevant for us? You know, people talked about team building. People talked about uh, working together and mm-hmm. that, that it took more than a year to build a team. Yeah, so
1: yeah, it it's an interesting question and you know, I'm always surprised because I think of this as a job interview. Right? We're being hired to do a job. So, what are you looking for as a citizen to do the job? Well, I understand the issues, but I want someone who I know is going to listen to me. So, you want someone with, uh, I want someone in the job who has diverse experience. I've worked on a lot of teams and I started my first team, I remember in grade seven, walking down the hall in school and I was 5'10". I don't think I'm 5'10 anymore, I'm getting older, but I was 5'10 and the basketball coach just said to me, Get in the, be at the gym at three o'clock today, you're starting practice. So for the rest of my, I was not a natural athlete, I want to say. But I was tall and he needed that. So I learned very early what it meant to be on a team. And I understood my role and I understood supporting others. And I understood digging down deep when they needed you. So whether you played a team or on a team. And then I've also been, again, in my career, by the time I, um, you know, worked my way up in the software industry, I was managing a team of, 22 professionals. So that's a different scenario. And then here in Nelson, I worked at the as a manager for the cafe in the um, co-op, in the new building at the co-op. And again, another team. How do you put that team together? How do you meet the needs? And, and that was meeting the needs of an entirely new generation. The needs are very different, but I couldn't impose my needs on them. I needed to understand what their needs were.
0: So you need to uh, so also understand generational gaps.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I live that. You know that I live with my daughters, and I have extremely close relationships with them. I try not to be on any team that doesn't have a multi-generational scope. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for me. I'm so excited that the candidates have been invited over to Trafalgar. And when um, I can't remember his name either, but he's French teacher who invited us. When he said, well, they're not voters yet. I'm like, oh my God, like I I don't care if they're voters. I just want to talk to, I want to see a youth on council. Mm -hmm. Fernie's just passed the policy to have a youth on council. How can we make the social services has this um, terminology now, nothing about us without us. Mm -hmm. So here we are making all these decisions for the future. We don't even have somebody sitting there listening and bringing that information in lucky for me they're sitting around my dinner table you know at least a couple of times a week yeah so I have been privileged really to have them bring me along on that journey of decolonization of feminism of diversity languaging you know fourth wave feminism it's It's hard to be learning and changing all the time. You really need to want it. But when you love people, when you care about their future, yeah, it's it's work that's valuable. And at the end of the day, when I go to sleep, I feel I've
0: done something worthwhile. Thank you for listening. My name is Yael Feiner, and this was Leslie Payne. Next, we are going to talk with John Buffery, who is running for city mayor. Transparency would come from a clear, clean process. So if it's honest and earnest in its process, the transparency to share that information is super key. I think there has to be a combination of summarizing so that it's understandable and attainable to people. But at the same time, as you drill further, you can see where the decision came to from the collection of information you got. Please subscribe to this podcast and listen to the other candidates. See you next time.